Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for leading us in this time of communion. Thank you, worship team, for, through music, bringing us into his very presence. We have been singing a song reflecting on the love of God. We've reminded ourselves of the sacrifice that he gave for us. Some of you have come today, and as we have been in his presence, the Lord's reminded you of something. Some of you come with a sickness. There is a physical issue that you're carrying in your body. The Lord has made provision for your healing. Some of you feel the brokenness of relationships this morning. Brokenness of husband and wife, parents and children, brother and sister. And you need ask the Lord for healing for that broken relationship. There are some of you here today to which the pain is in your soul. There's an emotional wound. There's a hurt. There's an offense that you've just carried with you. And that causes you a lot of pain. Jesus says, come. Jesus says, come to the table. And we have tasted and we have drank. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If even in these moments following communion, if the Lord through his Holy Spirit has just nudged your heart and he's identified a sickness, a broken relationship, an emotional wound. Would you just stand where you're at? And I'd like to pray for you. Because Jesus said, I'm here. My burden is light. If the Holy Spirit has put his finger on your heart, would you please stand where you're at? And I just want to pray for you. For those of you that are standing, you're in a good place. The scriptures say without faith, we can't please God. And so your standing is an indication of you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ. 
Those around these that are standing, let's just unite our hearts together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence, and for some of us, we're standing in your presence. Lord, you know all things. And even though we are fully known, we are still fully loved. So, Lord Jesus, these that are standing represent a need in their life, which they are trusting you. And so, Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, would you do your good and perfect work in their life? Lord, where healing is needed, Lord, would you heal in the name of Jesus? Lord, where relationships are broken or damaged, Lord, would you restore? Lord, would you enable us to humble ourselves where needed? Oh God, would you fulfill your word where you tell us those that seek me will find me? So Lord, on behalf of these that we stand, we Bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we declare your goodness. We declare your kindness. And we declare your love over each of these. For the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, yesterday was February 2nd. My wife, Marcia, and I, we are residents of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. That's right. That's right. And I just want to say that I've lived in many countries around the world as we've served with international workers with the Alliance. And I've seen many different cultures around the world. But there is a culture in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, let me say. Do you know that at 3 o'clock in the morning yesterday, there were thousands gathered up at Gobbler's Knob? And we've been there many times. There's a platform. There's a fake tree stump that has a door on it that says Phil over the top of it. But at 7.25 a.m. yesterday... The guy taps on the door with his magic cane, and they open the door, and they pull out this woodchuck, and they put him on the top of the stump, and there are two scrolls, and he will give an indicator on whether there is six more weeks or if there's an early spring. So here they are. I mean, this is streamed live over the internet yesterday. You hear the crowds chanting, six more weeks for the snow lovers. And, you know, early spring for those that want warm weather. Well, wouldn't you know it, the groundhog picked early spring. Now, there may be some doubters in the crowd, but I do want to say, I do want to say that the forecast for Erie tomorrow is 55 degrees. Okay. So... Warm greetings from Punxsutawney. But as they say in Erie, if you don't like the weather, just wait a couple of minutes. 
as we gather today, this is a kind of a bittersweet day because this is the day in which we honor Pastor Mark and his wife Teresa as they conclude their ministry here at First Alliance Church. And we celebrate their faithful service here. And we stand with them as they step into that next phase of ministry for this couple. You know, it's interesting that when a pastor serves a congregation, it's like an era that they serve. And your pastor has served well. During his service here, hundreds of people have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hundreds. Many of those that receive Christ have followed him in baptism. During his leadership here, more than a million dollars was given to the Great Commission Fund and the advancement of the gospel around the world. Praise the Lord for his favor on your congregation and for the strength and vision that he has given your pastor. And it is a bittersweet time. But a pastor, we know, hears the voice of the Lord, and he follows it. Thank you for celebrating the life and ministry of Pastor Mark and his wife, Teresa. And may the Lord bless them with his very presence as they go from here. And may his memories of these years here bring him great delight because of the joy of serving at First Alliance Church. Do you know, this congregation has quite a history, has quite a heritage. If you go back into the history books of the Alliance, First Alliance Church finds its early beginning in 1899, when a group believed at that time, they just called it a branch, coming together, like-minded people. You know, as this body of believers began to take form, they surrounded themselves around the Word of God, around the mandates of Scripture. You know, your second pastor... His name was Richard Howard. And Richard, the stories tell us, was an excellent preacher. And that he was a wonderful illustrator of the word of God. But he had a vision and a passion to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Do you know that he was the co-founder of Youth for Christ? His son went on to be an international worker in a number of countries, and he actually went on to various leadership positions in the alliance. His brother also served in the country of Guinea 
and pastored down at Tekoa. What a wonderful heritage this congregation has in leadership. Sometime in the next couple of pastors in First Alliance Church, there was a pastor that was very supportive of the ministry of a man by the name of F.F. Bosworth. Now, Bosworth was a, an evangelist, and his ministry was outreach and healing. And he was invited, a Christian Missionary Alliance man was invited to come to Erie and held special services at the arena back, I think, in the 40s. And many people in Erie heard the good news of Jesus Christ and received faith in him. And endless numbers received healing during those special services. You have a heritage of leaders that believe that God could do anything. And that even public services in Erie would see a harvest come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There was a pastor by the name of Brinkman that pastored here. Pastor Brinkman also during that time was the... Um, he was the chairperson of the Christian education of, they called it the Bureau of Christian Education of the Alliance during that time. And in the Alliance periodical, I believe back then it was called the Alliance Weekly, he wrote this article outlining things that we stand on, the centrality of the Word of God. The completeness of the death of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of his resurrection that had paid the penalty for our sins. What a heritage to be led by leaders that believe in the word of God and that act on it. So it is... uh, It is a bittersweet day to say farewell to Pastor Mark and his dear wife as they move on to what the Lord has for them. First Thessalonians 1.8 says, as Paul is speaking of this body of believers... It says, not only has the word of the Lord gone forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And even Paul says, I don't even need to speak about it. This congregation has a wonderful heritage of what God has done. But hear the words of Isaiah. 43. So even though we can look and see this wonderful heritage, Isaiah the prophet says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Isn't that exciting that we sit here and we celebrate a heritage in all of its wonderful nature? And then scripture says, but don't dwell on it because I'm doing something new. And God's spirit calls to our spirit and says, do you see it? Do you discern it? Because God's people are on a journey. God has never called us to return to the Garden of Eden. He has called us to that celestial city on which we are journeying. And we haven't made it there yet. So he says, do you see what I'm doing? As we think of this time of transition, we think about these weeks and months as critical times that as a church, as a congregation, we stay on mission. God has raised us up to complete the Great Commission. He has raised us up for his purposes. And his wonderful call, which he put on every believer, is a good call. So I want to just briefly this morning speak to you on four priorities for the church. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So four priorities. Love. The first priority is love. It is not unusual in various conversations that I have that people say to me, do you like your job as district superintendent? I wouldn't want your job. You just have to deal with all those troubles and those problems. Do you like your job? Well, it's interesting. When we worked as international men, as international workers with the Alliance living overseas, they'd ask the same question. Do you like your job? I wouldn't want to live over there. I wouldn't want to eat that stuff. I like what I do. I enjoy what I do. I grow as a believer, as out of the opportunities that come in what we do. There was one time in our ministry, there was four couples and a single. And we were in this particular people group as we were living overseas. And we were asked to form a team. So here we have these people that really don't know each other very well. We've got married couples. We have singles. We have some that are from the U.S., some from other countries. We're to come together, and we are to create the strategy to take the gospel into this unreached people group. And so 
we were meeting, um, we're having retreats, we're trying to process mission and uh, purpose uh, of what we're going to do. And so as we're working on it, this is what we came up with. We said that we are going to love the ex-people into relationship with Christ and love those God has called us to reach them with. Well, I'm in this group, and you know, as you're part of a group, you've got to express your opinion. You have to hear others. You can't just get too forceful. But I am getting increasingly uncomfortable with this. We've got to love these people, and we've got to love those that we're going to work with to reach them. And I'm like... Uh, you know, I really think we should be a little bit more strategic in our title. I, I think we ought to think more on purpose and, and uh, think of the plans which we're going to do. But do you know, at the end of the day, that's what we ended up with, that we're going to love those that God has called us to reach, and we're going to love those whom we're going to have to work together with to reach them. And I just wrestled with this thing. And then I was reminded what Jesus said in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why was I so troubled with that? Because we can get caught up in activity. We can get caught up in good activity. But our heart is never engaged toward the person that we're looking at, to the person that we're serving, and love them. When you start to work really close with people, I mean, we're all going to reach these people, that's good. But boy, you work with people closely and all of a sudden conflict comes up. You have differences of opinion. You have different values that you work off of. Boy, if you do not have the love of God in your heart, you will be amazed, (laughs) and maybe not, of what comes out. When we think of the mandate to which the church has in this day, we read John 13, 34, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. He doesn't just leave us with the command, but now he says, let me describe what I'm saying. And he says, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. So how do we love? We love each other the way Christ has loved us. And this actually, as we do this, As we love each other, as Christ has loved us, Jesus says that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That wrestling match that I was feeling was a critical wrestling match. Because Jesus said, it really doesn't matter to me what you do for me. If my love does not dwell in you. So the priority of our church is love. 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The love of God and the love of your neighbor. Scripture never separates them. That's what he calls us to, as his people. The second priority that enables us to stay on mission as a church is to proclaim. We speak the truth in love, and we never separate word from deed. We never separate what I say from what I do. Verse of scripture that has meant so much to me, it's in First Peter chapter 2. The writer says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Scripture's declaring our identity, who we are. If you read a a couple verses prior to that, it talks about how you are a royal priesthood. You are God's possession. Now you're God's people. And here's the passage that just jumped out at me. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We proclaim, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It was interesting that a survey was taken, and um, I think the results of the survey were that 80% of the people, they were Christians that were in that surveyed group, um, they were confident of their salvation, they were confident that People outside of Jesus Christ were lost, and they were committed to their local church. More than 80% said that, yes, that's true. That same group revealed through a series of other questions that 63% of that group had not told a single person about Jesus Christ in the last six months. Absolutely committed to the priority of proclamation. But they hadn't done it. So where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? Do you get tripped up over that? Do you get intimidated by it? Do you get tongue-tied in it? Let's go back to point one. When you love each other, you will declare to those that are watching that you are my disciples. Let's not let fear overtake us to where we do not participate in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 12 of 1 Peter 2, it says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentile, Peter says that they may see your honorable deeds 
and glorify God when he comes to judge. The people of God, we are called to always have a connection between word and deed. That what we say, that what we do, may there be no gap between those two. Third priority of the church, it's to reach. Matthew 24, verse 12 says, And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is good news, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We reach out. We engage those that don't know Jesus Christ with the good news of the gospel. You know, in Acts 14, or Acts 17, 22, Paul is in Athens. And some of you are familiar with what he writes in that part of Acts because Paul is distressed as he looks at this city, this city filled with idols. And he even sees idols that haven't names. They just built them in case they miss something in their efforts. And Paul is just distressed with this religious effort of people that never led to freedom that never led to peace, that never led to relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the largest growing group in Pennsylvania, it's not the Methodists, it's not the Baptists, it's not the Alliance, not even the Catholic Church. It is this group which calls themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, And they are those that do not affiliate with a faith group. 52% of our state puts themselves in that category. Even though when you drive through so many of our communities, we see the religious symbols, don't we? We see churches and we see different indicators of the religiosity of people. But when a group of those that self-identify as nuns were interviewed, they found out that a large percentage of these people had a spiritual longing, a hunger for spiritual things. But they weren't engaging the church with that. Who will go and reach the nuns in a non-religious looking way? Who will take the gospel and contextualize it to where a nun will hear it and receive it as the Holy Spirit works in their life? The fourth priority is to launch. In Acts 13, verse 2, it says, While the believers were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's exciting. There is nothing more exciting than to be in times of transition and to see God at work. There were men of faith in this congregation when the church was down on 11th Street. And they believed that God was leading them to buy 32 acres on Zimmerly Road. They had the faith to believe that God would sell that building. I love seeing the posters around the church for Vision 2020. That your leaders today have the faith to believe that the mortgage can be erased, that improvements can be made, and that God will meet every one of our needs as he does it. How do they have that faith? Because it's your heritage. It's what you have seen God do before. When I was a little kid, there was a worker, international worker, Maury and Vi Bliss were sent from this congregation. Maury passed on and Vi was still living. And you know, as a young kid, sometimes you just don't know too much. And so I didn't know too much about that. But you know, as our life went on, and the alliance appointed Marsha and I to serve in Indonesia, did I get to know more about the blisses? And when I got to go to the island where they served, and to meet people that are part of the body of Christ because you sent them. That's why we launch. That's why we launch out. And we don't launch waiting for certainty. We launch when God says move. We have the largest group of international workers that we've ever sent out. We've got them ready to send right now with the Alliance. But if any of you have been tracking with our uh, notes that our president, Dr. Stumbo, sends out, we are behind in our funding because we believe God is going to provide so that those whom he has raised up, we can send out. The country where we served for many years, there was a particular part of this country where for the 70-year history of the mission, we had never reached into this country. But because of a natural disaster, we were able to respond to show the love of Jesus Christ and to begin to build relationships and remain there. And I remember there came a time that uh, because we were, Marsha and I were returning to the States for home assignment, and uh, uh, we did not have a worker. We did not have a worker to carry on that work. And so I was getting on a plane to fly to that city, and we were going to shut it down. And I remember, as I landed in that airport, we're sitting in the living room of this um Uh, of a couple of these other workers that were there. And the Holy Spirit came upon us and said, no. 
And it's not often that I've received the blessing of faith from the Holy Spirit, but it happened at that point to say, no, we will not shut this down. And do you know, not immediately, but in subsequent years, the Lord has raised up new people to go there and to serve. We launch in faith, in response to the Holy Spirit. Yet in these opportunities of launching, just as Paul encountered, there's conflict, there's challenge, there is hardship. Let's not let it surprise us. When we're doing great things for God, Satan will come against the people of God with all that he has. Let's not be surprised when conflict and challenge and hardship arise. In fact, Paul tells us it's through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Let us fix our eyes on the glory of God. Let us trust him for the circumstances that he places us in. And may we keep our relationships clean before God and before those that we serve with. In this time of transition as a congregation, your governance authority, your elders, are taking a lead role in the seeking the will of the Lord for a new pastor. Dave Bell is your lead elder. And when a pastor concludes ministry in a church by our constitution, the lead elder then becomes the point person, the lead elder. So with Dave being sick, uh, Gil, as vice chairman, is the acting lead elder. I've already met with the elders, and I will continue to meet with the elders. And what we will be doing as elders is looking at the past of the church. And we'll be looking at the present. I mean, if you get in your car and you're ready to take a trip, you pull out your phone and you open up Google Maps, the first thing it says is, what's your location? So there's going to be a careful look at where we're at. An honest look, a loving look, and then seeking the Lord together. What is the preferred future that he has for this congregation? To work on a church profile and to then begin praying for the next pastor that God has. And I just want to testify to you of God's faithfulness over and over again Throughout our district, when a congregation is seeking a pastor, he has worked in the heart of a man. He has worked in the hearts of elders. And both have said this is good, bringing them together. And God is going to work on behalf of his church. He's going to work on behalf of this body of believers Because he says, I've got plans. I've got good plans. They're not going to harm you, but they're going to be for our good. Because we, his people, will declare his glory.
will declare his goodness for his honor and for the renown of his name. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence with us. We remember reading in the Old Testament of men of old that cried out to you. And you said, I will go with you because it's my presence that will make you a distinctive people. And so, Lord, thank you for your very presence with us. Lord, would you just fill us anew with your Holy Spirit? We don't simply want to tell the stories of how you have worked in the past. We believe your word when you say, do you see that I'm doing something new? Lord, we want to discern it by your Holy Spirit, and we want to be a part of it. Come, Holy Spirit, we ask. Fill us anew for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, would we as your people see even greater things because of your goodness and because of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.